0: Good morning all it's lovely to see you all here today on such a bright and cheerful day isn't the weather just wonderful that we're having love it let us pray as we come to our god and consider his strength and his power our father in heaven we thank and praise you for who you are we thank and praise you that you are our god and that you sent your son jesus christ to die for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that you have gathered us here to hear your word and we pray, Father, that you will give us courage and confidence in our knowledge of you, knowing that whatever we face in this world, Father, that you have our back, that you love us and you have shown your great love for us in your Son and knowing that goodness, knowing your kindness and generosity, we can face the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favourite passages in the whole Bible is that passage from Mark and uh, click over, um, Joe. I, 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 picture the imag- I picture the situation sort of like this, what we see. Here are the disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. A storm is raging around them, lightning flashing, thunder crashing, wind and waves are swirling about the mayhem and chaos are just everywhere and water is streaming over the edges of the boat. You can feel the panic and fear in the disciples rising. And through it all is Jesus asleep up the front like nothing is happening until the disciples finally wake him up And then they ask the question of the passage, which is the question I love about this passage. They say, don't you care that we're drowning? Which is just a shorthand way of saying, don't you care that we're dying? We live in uncertain times. Interest rates are rising around the world. Inflation is close to, if not out of control. We can feel the cost of living rising. The world's institutions, they appear to be corrupt. Many governments are implementing policies that are making or seeming to make the problems worse in short-term gains, looking for short-term gains. People in Europe are being told that they're going to be without energy, enough energy to heat their homes this winter. Currencies are falling and on top of that, we've been told that Russia is at the edge of using and deploying nuclear weapons if things get worse in the Ukraine. China is making constant threats about invading Taiwan, and the US says it will defend Taiwan, which it must if they want to keep their computer chips flowing. And all the more, all that is happening around the world stage, and even more, and at home in a Sydney, apparently. The Panthers won the grand final last weekend so the horses of the apocalypse must be on the horizon. Now it's easy to look at all the negatives taking place around the globe at the moment and to be afraid. And in the face of what is going on it is easy to be so fearful and that to ask God like the disciples God don't you care. Don't you care about what is happening to us? Don't you care about all the catastrophes that are going on around the world? Don't you care that we're dying? Today, as we look at Psalm 27, it's a psalm I've wanted to preach on for quite a while. We're going to explore one of the central themes of the Bible from David's perspective. That is the intersection between fear and faith the tension that is there between fear and faith we're going to see how knowing God turns our fear into courage and how trusting God turns our faith into confidence that is we're going to see how seeking God's uh, presence in our life will change our perspective on everything now the psalm opens up seeking God's presence and David uses three analogies in in the first verse to describe God's attributes David and David did write this psalm David says about God you are my light and my savior the Lord is my stronghold a lot of this psalm is going to focus on that third analogy he uses three analogies throughout this psalm but it is that third one he draws on the most god as a stronghold that is an image of power it's an image of defense it's an image of projecting and caring and having protection around you especially in david's day you can imagine being sort of it like being behind the american navy if you've gone out fishing in a little boat and you're in a little dinky but you've got this giant navy in front of you You're not going to worry about anything. You're going to feel safe. Or it's like one of those modern military parades that we see around the world. That is why Russia has all those parades. They are displays of power. They are displays of strength. They say to people, we are strong. They say to their nations, you do not need to be afraid for we are here to protect you. You are safe. It's all political PR, of course, but that is the point. They are saying to people, don't be afraid. But David doesn't trust in guns, obviously, or swords or walls. God is his stronghold. God is more powerful than the American Navy. To God, the American Navy is just rubber duckies. In the bathtub. God is stronger than a Russian nuke. To God, those things are just fireworks. God is stronger than man's powers. As David says, When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, still I am confident. God is David's stronghold throughout the psalm. And David draws on God's strength in the face of fear. And it's not just any fear. It is fear for his life. What do you fear in life? What keeps you up? What is concerning you? Are you afraid of loneliness, poverty? Are you worried about not getting enough food? Paying the electricity bill that is coming up this month? Are you afraid for a family relationship, whether it be children or your parents? There is no one in this room who will not be afraid of something. Fear is a normal part of the human experience. Sometimes we call it anxiety. It is that sick feeling in the pit of our stomach when we know something is about to happen that we don't want to. We all know it. We're, when we're about to go through something or do something that really concerns us, we all know that feeling we get. It's the unknown, the uncertainty of the future which creates feelings of fear in us. But david's fear isn't fear about a specific want or desire he is afraid for his life his enemies are warriors that want to kill him now not many of our fears compared to that type of fear not many of our fears are straight up a fear of death people wanted to take david's life and in the face of that fear, David turns to God. And he does so because he knows if God can deal with that problem, if God can rescue his life, if God can deal with death, then he can deal with all our other problems that causes fears in us as well. And that is the take home for us. If God can deal with death, then he can take and deal with all our other fears as well. I'm not dismissing or downplaying your fears. I am placing them on a scale because if God can deal with our fear of death, which is the number one adult fear, then he can deal with all our other fears as well. And as Christians, we have plenty to fear in this world, plenty of good reasons to have fear. As Christians, we have enemies, and our governments are aligning against us. I don't know if you heard this week about a man named Andrew Thorburn. Andrew is a Christian brother who sits on the board of an evangelical church in in the heart of Melbourne. And this week, he was hired by the Essendon Football Club to be its new CEO and to turn the club around. Now, Essendon is a ploughed AFL club with a long history. But that history lately has been quite rocky as one of its coaches was fired for pushing performance-enhancing drugs on its players. But Essendon are so desperate to turn things around that they were rethinking of rehiring this disgraced coach. But they fired Andrew Thorburn after one day. What was his crime? He sits on the board of an evangelical church. So hated is the Christian view on marriage and homosexuality by the LGBT lobby that they made sure that this man was fired, that he was kicked out within 24 hours. And not only did the LGBT, uh, LGBT lobby persecute this man for believing something different to them, something that didn't affect his ability to do the job the premier of the state of victoria daniel andrews publicly called andrew thorburn evil for believing traditional christian values we have plenty of enemies there are people who hate us and make no attempt to understand what we believe or why believe or why we believe it they just denounce it because they want to. But here's the little thing in the story that wasn't highly reported, but I think it for a lot of the public anger. Andrew Thorburn was given a choice, resign from the Essendon job or resign from the church board. Andrew Thorburn chose the church job, the church board over the plum job in Melbourne. Being a Christian and standing up for Christ were far more important than being in the upper echelons of Melbourne society. He would would have been highly paid. Not that he probably needed the money. He was uh, a board member or CEO of a bank. But the question is, what would make him choose such a position? Why would he choose the board over this plum job? Verse 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Andrew Thorburn chose being in God's presence over the accolades of men and you can understand why the world will hate such a choice he thought being in god's presence was far more important than receiving the wealth and the praises of men verse four is the key verse of this whole psalm it is what the psalm is about choosing god and trusting him over the things of this world David uses two analogies to explain why this is the case. The first is God's tent or God's temple. And it's an analogy for being in God's presence. David wants to dwell in God's company. David wants to be with God, which is what dwelling in the tent means. Being in God's presence, relating to Yahweh, his God, and doing things that Yahweh would approve of. He wants to live in a way that pleases god the second analogy he uses is to speak of god's beauty here david is referring to god's goodness his good character beauty is a standing for something that is desirable something we would find admirable or beautiful here the desirable thing is to delight in god's good character God's kindness, God's patience, God's love, his gentleness, his justice. All the things that make up who God is. God's good character is worth more than anything that the world can give you. Houses, gold, silver, acclaim, anything that can be found in this world. God's character, God's goodness far surpasses them. Gazing on the beauty of God is David's way of expressing the joy of being in a solid and good relationship, being one of God's people. Recently, I had lunch with my parents. It was, it was a lovely time. We were in, in Sydney enjoying good food and good company. It was just one of those special moments that you have with people that just makes you so thankful for for the relationship. That is the point that David is making here. He just delights in being and knowing God and the closeness he has in that relationship. But here is where it is slightly different for Christians today. David's relationship with God was through a tent. He knew God through his word, but his relationship was expressed with the analogy of the tent. As Christians, God's presence isn't in the form of a tent, but through his spirit dwelling in us. God doesn't dwell out there or in a building or in a church. He is with us. He is in us. Because of this, because of the intimacy of the relationship we share with God, God wants us to think about him first in all the relationships we have. Every good moment we have with others is a good moment given to us by God, our Father in heaven. And we should praise God for those moments. But here is the other thing that we must not forget. Every tough moment we have in life also comes from God. And it is at those times we need to reflect upon how good and how great our God is. For he wants us to learn how to relate to him so as to understand how we should relate in the situation. To gaze on God's beauty, to dwell in his presence is for us remembering that God dwells with us and meaning placing God at the forefront of our thinking in every situation we are in, thinking about how we are to react in a way and act in a way that pleases and honours God, to remember God's goodness, remember his character and live in a way that shows his glory. That is both our joy and is a great opportunity to show who God is But it is also our responsibility. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ." Here David says what Paul is pointing at. To glorify the greatness of God in all points of your life. And the only way you are going to do that, the only way you are going to do that is if you are trusting God's good character and trusting God's faithfulness. Here David turns and has a conversation with himself. Have you ever had a conversation Ever spoken to yourself or talked to yourself as you walked along? Put up your hand if you've done that. Wise, wise people. Good news, you're in good company because David does the same thing. In this next section, David really shows what it means for him to turn to God. He asks for God's grace and knows God's goodness as his own heart speaks to himself. What he is doing is fortifying himself in verses 7 and 8 about what he knows about god's goodness and clearly he has been in a distressed situation so his own heart says to him as he faces the usurator, he resolves himself to seek god's face to receive uh to seek god's glory david's first desire in the tough situation is to speak to god and here he uses the, the analogy of god's face to describe what he has been talking about above he wants to be in god's presence which means he wants to relate to him now that is david's first desire his first instinct is to relate to god is that ours we would all like to say and should say yes but is it really I don't know why this is exactly the case probably because I'm approaching 50 years of age I've still got a couple of years left so I'm holding on to them but I've been reflecting on my own life a lot lately and as I think over my own life I think one of my biggest regrets I would still say it's one of my biggest struggles is my fear of what others think of me it has stopped me giving so many things a go. not so much a fear of failure but a fear of what others might think or that they might think bad or not well of me. Even as a Christian, where I know what matters most is what God thinks and God's concerns when I'm struggling in an issue or or a relationship, my natural inclination is to protect what other people think of me. And this is why verse 8 is both an encouragement and a rebuke. It reminds me that my first inclination needs to be what does God think about this situation but it also rebukes me when I don't. What this passage is pointing at is the question what would God have me do? Do you remember those bracelets uh, that used to be out the, with the acronym WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? I didn't really like those bracelets because I used to think, well, I'm not Jesus. Can you imagine what Jesus would do if someone with cancer came up to him? Well, Jesus would heal him. I've got nothing. I can't do that. But that really wasn't the point of those bracelets. The real question of the bracelets is to point to this question what would jesus have me do in this situation it is a reminder to think about god's desire for the person or the situation and to think about how do i please god here what does god want me to do how does god want me to react in this situation what do i do how do i do good for the person in front of me not How do I make this person in front of me feel good about me or the situation but what does this person need to know about God for their genuine good? That's what it means for our hearts to seek God's face. Seeking God's face in a relationship or situation might mean saying and doing some things that people don't want to hear and that can be hard. And it can come at great personal cost, a la Andrew Thorburn above. And the only way you are going to make that sacrifice is by knowing God's goodness. And here is the importance of the gospel. Once you understand that Jesus came into this world to take our sins, that he died upon the cross, and as he was dying, God was pouring out all his wrath his anger all his justice for our sin for our rebellion that in doing that god was putting our interests first he was loving us so much so as to forgive our sins if god is willing to do that for us is there anything that he is not going to care about and the answer is no Once we are sure, once we understand just the depth of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can be sure that there is nothing that God is not going to care for us. If he's going to deliver us from this great problem of our rebellion and rejection against him, there is no other problem that he can't deal with. This is what Paul says in Romans, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we know God's goodness to us in Christ, He takes our fears and he gives us courage. When we understand the depths of God's forgiveness for us in Christ, he takes our faith and gives us confidence. That is the joy of our relationship with God. God takes our fear and turns it into courage. He takes our faith and turns it into confidence. It's not a confidence in ourselves or our abilities, but a confidence in the goodness and greatness of God. Some people are born with courage, but not me. Sometimes I've seen courage portrayed as the absence of fear. There are people who have no fears. They're called sociopaths. Fear is a normal and good thing given by God. But the moment we allow fear to control us, our fear turns into cowardice. And that's David's point in verses 11 and 12. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. In the face of a true threat, David trusts God. He's asking God to lead him through the situation. He's asking God to lead him through the danger. That's courage. In the face of fear, true courage is trusting God to care for us. In the face of the unknown, we can have confidence because God is with us. It is not in our ability, but in God's sovereignty to lead us through the tough ways in life. That no matter what happens to us in life, God has our backs. And so David's courage and confidence come from his knowledge of God's goodness, God's greatness, God's love for us. And when God loves us, what do we have to fear? What possible place that God can't lead us through, that we can't have confidence in Him? God is good. Now, I hear that statement used so many times, and I often don't like the way people use it. Christians tend to use that phrase God is good when things go well for them Now here's the good news god is good but in the tough times when things are not going the way we expect will we still say god is good god is good both in the good times and in the bad times and it's when we know this about god when we understand this about god that god's goodness is always the case No matter the situation, where we are, what is happening, when we apply God's goodness to that situation in our lives, then our fears are turned into courage and our faith is turned into confidence. That's why I find this psalm of such great encouragement. It is also a bit of a rebuke, but it reminds me to reflect on God's good character in every and any situation. To reflect upon the great things that he has done and to remember that God's forgiveness, God's love for us in Jesus is greater than anything that any man can ever do to us. And if that is the case, we can say with David, as he says at the psalm, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong. And let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. That is the conclusion. If you know God's goodness, be strong, be courageous, be confident. Even in the toughest of times. Because God has your back. And his good character, his good nature, it never changes. And he will always be there for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for who you are. We thank and praise you for your good character and your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you are a good God and that your goodness never changes even when we feel we are going through tough times. Be with us and like David, lead us through those tough and strenuous times. Turn our fears into courage and our faith into confidence. Knowing of Your goodness to us in Christ Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen.